all places together. Here we believe that our lives are connected to one another and rooted in God's inclusive and expansive love for diverse creation. I'm Colleen Montgomery, pastor of APT and podcast host. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. I've got a question for you. Could God be queer? All on its own, queer is a complicated word with a difficult history. The basic definition of queer here in 2023 is differing in some way from what is usual or normal. The first example that Merriam-Webster provides for the word queer is from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. The quote, how queer it seems to be getting messages from a rabbit. And like, that is a really unusual way to get a message. However, over the 1900s, new uses of the word became more common. Queer began to be used as a way of talking about people who were not heterosexual, not straight, and not usually in a kind way. Queer was used as an insult and a slur. For some people within the LGBTQIA2S plus community, it remains a word that they do not use because of the way it had been used to harm them or others. And there are people who feel this way of both older and younger generations. It's not just related to a particular age. Yet in 2023, Queer is emerging as a word that more and more people are choosing to identify with, both in terms of their sexual orientation as well as their gender identity and expression. Those who identify as queer in terms of sexual orientation often feel that the terms gay, lesbian, bisexual, or pansexual are too limiting. In terms of gender identity and expression, genderqueer is a word that is used to identify people who do not subscribe to conventional gender distinctions, but instead identify with neither both or a combination of male and female genders or other genders altogether. Queer is a word that some people take pride in as they claim it for themselves. Yet given its complicated history, you should never use the word queer to talk about someone's orientation or identity without their permission. Queer is also being used more commonly as an umbrella term for the whole LGBTQIA2S community. And we're seeing this happen for several reasons. Gay as the umbrella term for the whole community is beginning to fall out of favor because of how it centers the experience of men. Gay men, especially white cis gay men, experience the most privilege of anyone in the whole community. While queer is an orientation and an identity, it's a more broad term that crosses binaries and isn't linked with privilege in the same ways that the word gay is. Also, queer can be used as an academic term to describe the field of study, such as queer history or queer theology. Choosing to use the word queer in light of all of these things is then both a bold claim and also something that can cause harm. So I want you to know that I don't do this lightly. 
Like I said, it's complicated. Insert the deep breath emoji here. So one last thought before we move on to our question of the week. In time, I hope to listen back on this episode and cringe, yes, cringe, because we've come to have a different word that doesn't have all of this same baggage with it that the word queer does. Because let's not forget, all language is made up. So we can make up new words that have new meanings that don't have the same type of baggage that some of our older words do. We just really need enough people who agree on them to be able to use them to get them in the dictionary. So team, like let's get claiming, finding, or creating such a word like on our agenda as a whole. Thanks. So with all of this in mind, let's wonder together. Could God be queer? Could God be queer following the dictionary definition? I think the Christian God of the Bible could be different from what's normal or usual for other gods. Though I guess we would need to maybe fully define like what is normal for gods across time and history and That could be its whole book or a documentary or a podcast series all on its own. So without going into like everything that any God has ever been, there are two examples that I know of that make my God queer based on this definition. Back thousands of years ago, when the early Jewish people were figuring out who their God was, there were lots of competing gods. Like all the other groups, tribes, and nations had their own gods and everyone had kind of this understanding that their gods were opposing each other. This is why uh, this commandment was given to the people and is so important. This you shall have no other gods before me. This is so important because the earliest followers of God understood or believed or accepted that there were other gods so that their god needed to come first and foremost was important. One common thing that people believed of this time was that their god's power and influence had a geographic radius, an idea that gods could work in particular places but not in others that their gods had a physical location, and like that was it. Kind of like how your Wi-Fi works within your house, but like not necessarily across the street, kind of like that. Yet the Hebrew people began to see something different. As their relationship grew, they came to see that their god was not bound by geography. Their God led them through the desert when they were escaping enslavement by the Egyptians. Their God was with them in the land that they overtook and made into their home. And even when they thought that their God had abandoned them when they got conquered and were forced to move out of that land, God was with them the whole time and brought them home. They believed and followed a God that was different from the rest. Their God was with them wherever they were. How queer. Another aspect of Christian faith in particular that is quite queer is the Trinity. 
it's wild, y'all. Like, no one can really explain it. And probably what I'm going to say in these next sentences, like, definitely has heresy in it. So we're just going to try. Right? Christians believe that God is one, God, one, and also have three aspects that are traditionally called the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Now, to many people outside of the Christian faith, this would seem like polytheism, like the belief in multiple gods. But as Christians over here, we're over here being like, nah, it's one one God. We're monotheists. All three persons of the Trinity, like they're all the same. It's all one. It's like ice. It's like a clover with three leaves. It's like an apple. It's like a dance. Like insert any and all metaphors that try and yet fail to explain the Trinity. One and three, three and one. This is very different from how faith traditions interpret and understand monotheism and polytheism. So this is certainly queer. God is queer in these ways. Now, as we move on to another use of the word queer, things get even more complicated. How could God be queer by the definition given about like orientation and identity? Now, in terms of sexual orientation, I'm going to be honest, I don't know that God has one. I firmly believe that God gifts us with all of the types of sexual orientations that the whole body of people have and that the love we express physically in those relationships is a reflection of God's love for us. I just have no real idea if God has an orientation. And given how big the topic of today's episode already is, I don't even really have the capacity to imagine anything here. So this is another conversation for another day and time. Like the question remains here for me, maybe for you too. But the second part there of that question, could God have a queer gender identity? My answer here is 100%. God is not any one definable gender. There are so many beautiful gendered and non-gendered ways that God speaks about God's self and God's people speak about God. It simply breaks the binary of male and female language. God is so much bigger than what our imagines can even fathom. Even the word queer in and of itself is limiting in a certain way. So that's also like really queer. The father language that is used by Jesus is a common way that many Christians imagine and speak about God. Also, we got to say Jesus came in a man's body, though I think exploring Jesus's specific gender is another episode as well. Yet based on Jesus's use of father and Jesus being a man using male language and he him pronouns is a faithful way to talk about God. Jesus also talks about himself using images that point to God beyond just masculine framework as well, though. In Luke 15, Jesus uses three examples to talk about what God does when someone who is lost is reunited with God. The first image of that is a shepherd. And though Jesus uses male pronouns to talk about this particular shepherd, shepherds in Jesus's time could also be women. So shepherd in general is kind of an inclusive word. 
The second image that Jesus is used is a widow who is looking for a lost coin. She is persistent in looking. The third and final image is a father. See, the expansiveness of these images helps us to begin to expand our minds about God's gender and attributes. So using she, her, they, them, or he, him pronouns for God are all faithful ways to pray and to talk about God and to talk to God. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 13, Jesus refers to himself as a mother hen. Jesus talks about how he has tried to gather the people under his wings. Jesus is clear in this sentence, in this verse, about his desire to mother us. A powerful feminine way to talk about God. Another mothering image that is used to describe God is in Hosea 13.8, when the prophet Hosea is talking about God as a mother bear who has been separated by her cubs. The context is how God judges those who are unfaithful. So it's not really a pleasant image, but it is a distinctly like mothering image not fathering image here that we're getting when we're talking about God as mother bear. There are many other human mothering images of God throughout the Bible as well. Deuteronomy 32.18 talks about how God is the named as the one who gives us birth. While sperm and eggs are needed in some form or fashion to create human babies, a person with a uterus, who is most often but not always a woman, carries the baby, and gives birth. So this is often women giving birth, so imagining here God as a woman. Moreover, we can also imagine God as a trans man giving birth or a non-binary person giving birth. That's also beautifully queer and lovely as well. We can talk about God as mother, as parent, and as father. The book of Isaiah includes mothering language that is about how a mother comforts and also how a mother nurses and feeds her children. In the present day, we recognize that these actions can be done by a parent of any gender. So we hold the mothering and female language here in tension with the patriarchy with which the Bible was written in. It was such an intense patriarchy that just even highlighting the feminine aspects of God just points to the expansiveness and inclusiveness of God because this was such a risk and something so unusual. Another traditionally feminine way to talk about God is wisdom, God as wisdom. In ancient Hebrew culture and language, wisdom was a feminine word and was personified as a woman as well. Lady wisdom is how she's talked about sometimes. So lady wisdom is an aspect of God that calls people into faithful living. And wisdom is all she, her, her pronouns throughout. There are many non-gendered ways that God is referred to as well. Some of these non-gendered ways speak to humanity in general in an expansive way, and then others are ways that God is compared to or related to like an object or something in nature. Throughout the Psalms 
and in other books of the Bible, God is referred to as creator, friend, healer, judge, planter, and teacher. These are all ways of talking about people that are not linked to a particular gendered understanding of people. Anyone of any gender can be a creator, a friend, a healer, a judge, a planter, or a teacher. I also want to be sure that we talk about these I am phrases that we see in the Gospel of John. Jesus uses the phrase I am in the Gospel of John several times to talk about him and his purpose. And only one time is the I am followed with a noun that is a person, and that is I am the good shepherd. All of the other times that this phrase is used, Jesus completes the sentence with nouns that don't refer to people at all. I am the gate. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All of these help us to imagine God and Jesus and God's work in a different way that goes beyond the gender binary. The truth is there are so many more examples that we don't have time to be able to talk about today. The truth is, right, each of these images or ways of thinking about God could be its own episode and time of imagining what that image speaks to about God's nature and how we might connect to God in that way. What I hope you have been able to hear today is a new way to think about God, that you haven't thought about God before. To see that God has aspects of all genders within God, and that God has aspects and attributes that are totally separated from gender as well. So for me, seeing God's gender as queer makes sense. Could God be queer? To me, yes, God is queer. I asked on Instagram a few weeks ago what some of your favorite images or verses that point to God's queerness are, and I'm excited to share the responses that I got here. It's always fun to see what verses and stories come to mind for other people, and it helps us broaden the conversation as well. Kim lifted up the relationship between David and Jonathan as described in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 to 4. Before I read these verses, we've got to just go over that David and Jonathan have quite the complicated situation. Saul was named as the first king of Israel, and Jonathan is Saul's son. Jonathan should have been named the next king, but God wasn't really pleased with Saul, so God decided that David is going to be the next king instead. So these two young men, Jonathan and David, really should have been enemies, but they weren't. They were like besties and maybe more. The particular verses that Kim shared say this. As soon as David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan's life became bound up with David's life, and Jonathan loved David as much as himself. From that point forward, Saul kept David in his service and wouldn't allow him to return to his father's household. And Jonathan and David made a covenant together because Jonathan loved David as much as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his armor, as well as his his sword, his bow, and his belt. 
So this is where we all sing Taylor Swift's new song, Question, together, right? Like, can I ask you a question? It's just a question. Just a question. These guys really loved each other. And I don't think it was just as friends. Moose shared that God's divine inversions are some of his favorite ways of seeing God's queerness. A divine inversion is when God totally flips expectations or standards in a new and unexpected way. The first example that Moose shared was anytime a blessing goes to the second child or the last child. You may recall that the Jewish rules of inheritance were strict. Daughters didn't get everything, and then everything was divided between the sons, with the eldest son getting a double portion. Yet there are a few times in the Bible that the second son or youngest son gets the blessing. Jacob of the twins Jacob and Esau being the maybe the most well-known one. That's queer. It's not the usual way of doing it. The second example that Moose shared of divine inversions comes from Luke's Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are a sermon, are part of a sermon that Jesus gives. And there's a few different versions of the Beatitudes of this sermon in different Gospels. But Moose pointed to the one from Luke. So this is Luke chapter 6, verses 20 to 26. Jesus says this. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. In these verses, Jesus is proclaiming blessing to people who were in need or who were suffering And on the other hand, saying woe to those who had it all together. There's a lot more we could unpack in these verses, but I hope that it's clear how Jesus is flipping or inverting the status quo with his words. Jesus is doing something different than what tradition called for or how society functioned. How queer. Finally, Allie wrote that Matthew 19 is a powerful example of God's affirming of queerness. I won't lie, I had to look this one up. But in this verse, Jesus is teaching a group of people that included his disciples. At some points in the chapter, he is addressing everyone. At other points, he's just speaking to the disciples. Here, Jesus is answering a question from one of his disciples. Jesus says, For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. In case you're not familiar with the word, in Jesus' day, eunuchs were men whose testicles had been removed. This was most commonly done so that those men could oversee the harem or group of wives or not 
consensual wives. It's complicated of the king or of other powerful men. Here, it seems like Jesus is using the term eunuch more broadly to refer to men or maybe even people who don't have normal male external genitals. Regardless of the particulars, Jesus is offering an affirmation that those whose bodies are different from the norm or who have been altered, even against their consent, are valid parts of the community. There isn't anything that can happen to your body that can separate you from God. God sees them and is with them. And that's something I hope that you get out of each and every conversation here at All Places Together. That wherever, whoever, and however you are, and however your body is, God sees you, is with you, and God loves you. This God who isn't bound by geography and who comes to us in different ways. This God who is talked about in expansive and inclusive ways called both mother and father and parent. This God who has seen all of time sees you too. And in addition to God seeing you, I also hope that you can see a glimpse of God in you. For me, this is at the heart of why exploring God's queerness is so important. For centuries, descriptions, pronouns, images, and ways of talking about God were primarily based in masculinity. Men were the official spiritual and religious leaders, while women and those who were outside of the gender binary were regulated to a lesser place. Yet God is so much more than masculinity. God goes beyond any binary. There are all of these queer moments in the Bible and also faithful queer people and moments throughout all of history. It takes extra time to uncover and understand the stories, yet they are there waiting to be heard. God was in all of these moments and God is in you too. The LGBTQIA2S plus community is a rainbow reflection of God's creativity, love, strength, and compassion. I know I need to hear these stories of God's queerness and God's queer people for myself as a bi person. And I think that means that other people may need to hear them too. A few weeks ago, I served as a chaplain for a high school youth event here in Virginia. I got to pray before the sessions, preach at our worship service, and support the group of seniors who led the planning and content development. It was a really special thing for me. On Saturday of the event, I wore one of my Bi Pride t-shirts. It's a heathered lavender shirt with a Bi Pride rainbow, three stripes of blue, purple, and pink. It says pride underneath the rainbow with a little heart. I think if you didn't know the Bi Pride flag, you would just maybe think it's cute. But if you knew what it was, you knew what it was. On Sunday morning, a youth came up to me and said, I saw your t-shirt yesterday. I have never seen a pastor who was out before. It really meant a lot to me to see you wearing that shirt. I thanked them for sharing that with me as my heart burst with joy. I felt like, oh, I've arrived and I could also retire because of that small impact, because of that little witness. 
responding to God's invitation to expand our imagination about who God is and how God shows up in the world and who God works through is divine and joyous and can even be life-altering. Breaking down decades-old ways of thinking and praying is difficult. It can feel vulnerable, risky, and sometimes like you're totally lost. Yet God is with you through that uncertainty, and I am too. We are not alone as we wonder and wander. We are not alone as we discover new ways to talk about God and understand what God's love is like. We are not alone as we ask big questions that we never thought we could ask before. Could God be queer? God is bigger and more than we could ever imagine. God can handle our questions, our doubts, and even our anger. God shows us new ways of hope, life, and love, and God is with us and in us through it all, wherever, whoever, and however we are. prayer. Holy Creator, you give birth to all creation and name each of us beloved. You are in all places and you are in us too. We might call you mother or parent or father or good shepherd or teacher or wisdom or friend or just, hey there, hear our prayers no matter how we call to you. As we learn more about your expansiveness and inclusiveness, open our hearts to recognize you in ourselves, others, and in unexpected places too, because your holiness and goodness and beauty is in us all. Inspire our imaginations to dream of new ways to share peace, build relationships, and seek healing for the world and all those in it wherever, whoever, and however we are. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. We hope you experience God's love for you and the world in today's episode. Thank you to Ali, Moose, and Kim for sharing their thoughts on God's queerness with us. I know you each expanded my holy imagination, and I'm grateful for it. Thank you to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Being church together is so important. Thank you to those who financially give to empower the ongoing work of APT. If you would like to give to support us, you can go to our website, allplacestogether.org. Scroll to the bottom where it says give to all places together and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. Even small one-time gifts of $5 or $10 or monthly gifts of the same amount add up to make a big difference for us. 
We know it can be hard to give financially. We celebrate all of the ways you share the stories of all places together with the people in your life and engage with us online throughout the week. I'll be continuing to post questions on the Instagram stories, and I hope that you'll respond and invite others to engage too. If you know someone who has big questions about faith, I hope you'll consider recommending the podcast to them. Your word of mouth recommendations help this community grow more than anything else. And until next time, remember that God loves you wherever, whoever, and however you are.